Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Good morning. It's really good to be with you and uh, to continue our Gospel Encounter series, which I hope you've been enjoying. Um, I'd like to speak to you today from the last few chapters of Matthew's Gospel, and specifically, I'd like to look at um, some of the th- events that happened in the lead up to the crucifixion and also uh, on the day of the resurrection and the things that the disciples went through in those events, the impact it has on them. And I think there's some things in there for us today. So if you want to turn with me to um, Matthew 26, we're just going to read a few verses, um, starting at verse 1. It says, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days, the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. And then down in verse 30, this is now after the, the Last Supper, it says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But before but after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. If we just go across to chapter 28, this is now the morning of the resurrection. This is after the crucifixion. Beginning at verse one, it says this. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. And he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up, took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee where they will see me. And then lastly, in verse 16, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The reason why I've pulled these few verses out from these chapters is because there's something I've I've been thinking about recently, having been uh, spending a bit of time in in the book of Matthew over the last few months. 
And that is um, this statement that Jesus makes to them in verse 31 that we read from chapter 26, which is to tell them that they will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. It was quite a a statement to make, wasn't it, Uh, before them and something that will have um, hit them, I'm sure, like a ton of bricks. But then he says this in verse 32, but after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And we read uh, later on in chapter 28 that when the angel of the Lord comes down and the women see him, the angel of the Lord says, go to Galilee for Jesus has gone before you to Galilee and that's where you'll see him again. And then they meet Jesus and uh, Jesus says to them, tell the disciples to meet me at Galilee. So it seems to me that Jesus drops this bombshell on the disciples that night about what was going to happen. He'd been telling them for a period of time, but now the moment had come. And he was also giving them a promise that he would see them again, that they'd be reunited at Galilee. Galilee was the cradle of Jesus's ministry. It's it's where he spent most of his life. And it's where he recruited the disciples. It's where much of his ministry took place. And it seems to me that Jesus was saying, look, something is going to happen in the next few hours. But after it's over, we will be together again and we'll be reunited and all things will be restored when we meet again at Galilee. And I believe that Jesus was preparing them for what was to come in the next few hours, not only with a promise of reunion, but also a promise of restoration, because they were going to go through some things in the next few hours that would shake them to the core. But those things that they were going to go through were going to prepare them for the mission that Jesus was going to give them that we just read about in chapter 28. The great commission that he was going to give them um, when they were reunited at Galilee. I believe the disciples uh, had to go through some things before they were ready for the great commission. And I think that Jesus knew that. I think he knew that he was going to be separated from them. And that's why he uses this language from the prophet Zechariah, which is that God says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. He's using this language and it's referred to several times uh, in the book of Matthew. He's not only the great shepherd, but in the context of the Passover, he's the paschal lamb. He's the sacrificial lamb as well. But he knew that they would be scared by this statement that he would make. And he wanted to prepare them with this promise of reunion and restoration. But I also believe that God had a purpose. You see, they'd never been separated from Jesus in all this time. And he knew that they would have to face some things and actually face those things without Jesus being by their side. I think there were three things that God wanted them to face. And I want to go through the next few verses and just pick these out. The first is that they were to face their fears. Secondly, that he wanted them to face their flaws. And thirdly, that he wanted them to face their frustrations. And the first one, I think, is found in verse 31 of chapter 26, when Jesus says, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Can you imagine if you were the disciples, the fear that that would strike into your heart? The Jesus who you followed, who is everything to you, who you believe to be God's son and the Messiah is suddenly saying, I will be struck down and you will all fall away from me. 
Well, the disciples dealt with that fear initially by looking within themselves. Peter's the one that's always the spokesperson, isn't he? He says, though they all fall away, because of you, I will never fall away. Peter's looking within himself to be able to deal with the fear that he's feeling that's gripping him in this moment. And all the other disciples we we found um, in the next few verses, all the disciples said the same thing. They were looking within themselves to deal with that fear. Whereas actually, what Jesus wanted them to do was to look to him. In fact, we find that Jesus's prediction about what Peter would do obviously comes true. This terrible moment where Peter denies Jesus and he's, hears the rooster crowing three times and he remembers what Jesus said to him only hours before. I can only imagine what Peter went through having denied Jesus after what he said he'd be willing to die with him. The fear of failure, the fear of where this left him in his life. The wonderful thing is that they had the promise that Jesus had left them with is that they would be restored and reunited with him at Galilee. And that's exactly what happens. We find in John's gospel uh, this account of Peter's restoration Jesus forgiving him and Peter finding forgiveness and restoration at this point of reunion at Galilee. You know, the only way to deal with things that we're fearful of, that we're afraid of, is the love of Christ, I believe. You know, I believe that John witnessed that restoration of Peter. He witnessed Jesus forgiving him and saw the Peter experienced the love of Jesus in a way that maybe he'd never experienced before. And years later, when he was writing his letters, said, perfect love casts out all fear. We're all fearful of some things. There are all, always some things that can cause us to be fearful. And there are times, I believe, when Jesus does not feel so close and we feel more fearful But at those times, it's the love of Jesus that needs to come into our hearts. And it's that love that will cast out all fear. It was for Peter. And there were going to be so many more moments when Peter would have cause to fear. They all would. But they learned a really important lesson that day is that perfect love casts out all fear. We won't overcome our fears if we look within ourselves, but we will overcome them if we look to the shepherd And we let his love cast out the fear that can strike us down. Second thing is that I believe that he knew that they needed to face their flaws. And if you go with me to verse 41 in chapter 26, we're now in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus has gone to pray. He's gone to be with the Father and he says to his disciples, keep watch with me and look over me. And he goes to pray. And then when he comes back, of course, they've fallen asleep, haven't they? And Jesus says to them in verse 41, he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And Jesus is saying to them, look, in your spirit, you're willing, but the hour is at hand and there is a battle taking place. But the flesh is weakening your resolve. The flesh is deadening your senses. In fact, later on, he says in verse 45, sleep and take your rest later on. You see, when the Bible talks about our flesh, it's talking about our physical appetites, 
There's nothing wrong with our physical appetites. We are both spiritual and physical, and our bodies need to be tended to. But the Bible also talks about the flesh being contrary and desiring things that are contrary to the Holy Spirit. And there are times when our spiritual senses need to be alive and attuned, but our flesh, our physical appetites can get in the way of that. And that's what was happening for the disciples. And it's only because Jesus had withdrawn from them that this became exposed in them, if you like. It showed them that actually there's an issue here of the flesh. And Jesus was saying, there's an issue for you guys to deal with now. In the things that you're going to face in the years to come, you're going to need to deal with your flesh to be able to win the battle and fight by my side. I believe that in the last few months, um, we've been denied many of our corporate um, activities, many of the things and activities that happen within the church, the things that we do together, which are all great. But I think sometimes they can mask things within us that we don't then deal with. Sometimes we can um, maybe convince ourselves that if we're busy with the things of God, then we've dealt with the things of the flesh and our spirit is alive. And actually in the last few months when those things that we normally do, all the activities and the infrastructure of our Christian lives together has been taken away and elements of it have been denied us, then actually we're left with largely ourselves and the Lord. And I think that can be a real um, opportunity for the spirit to show us those things within us that need to be dealt with, those things that are deadening our spiritual senses sometimes, those things that are holding us back in the battle, in the mission that we've been entrusted with. And I think it's at times like this that the Lord wants us in this space to be able to go to him and say, Holy Spirit of God, would you show me these things that need to be dealt with? Would you help me with these things? For my spirit is willing, but I know that sometimes my flesh is weak. And the third thing that the disciples had to face, I believe, is their frustrations. And if you go down to verse 51, we're still in the Garden of Gethsemane, but now um, Judas has arrived with the, um, the, the, the guards from the temple, as well as the, the chief priest's servant, Malchus, to arrest Jesus. Now, as prearranged, Judas kisses Jesus to identify who he is. And at that moment, the guards go to arrest him. And we find in verse 51, Matthew tells us this, and behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now, we know from the other gospel writers that that person was Peter. Um, there's no, no, no uh, prizes for guessing who it was. That was Peter who reached for his sword and cut off the man's ear. And we also know that Jesus um, healed Malchus's ear. In uh, Mark, the Gospel of Mark, we're told that um, Jesus puts the ear back and restores it to Malchus. In other words, he puts things back as they should have been. But Peter was acting out of frustration. Peter was acting out of a frustration with what was happening in the moment. And he again was looking within himself to decide what to do about this. Now, I think we're often in these situations where it seems like things are not going as they should be. It seems like we're facing setbacks 
in the things that God has told us to do, in the plans he's unfolded for our lives. And in those moments, that can be a seedbed of frustration because we wonder what God is doing and we think maybe there's something we need to do to sort this situation out. But like Peter, we can often misread the situation. In Peter's case, he was not seeing the resources that Jesus had at hand. And Jesus says in the next few verses to Peter, do you not think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Jesus was saying, Peter, you're not seeing the heavenly resources at hand. A legion of angels was 6,000. And Jesus was saying, I've got access to, t- to 12 of them, 72,000 angels. It only took one angel at the siege of Jerusalem to slaughter 185,000 Assyrians. I think maybe Jesus's point is, I have all the resources I need to deal with this situation. But what Peter couldn't see was not only the resources, but he couldn't see the purpose of God in that situation. And that's why Jesus said, I mustn't call on those resources because it's right that this happens. It's in fulfillment of my word. And I just want to encourage us where we find times where the the hand of the Lord seems to be absent, where he seems slow to act, where we cannot see the resources of the Lord at work. Sometimes, oftentimes, those are the moments when he is acting on our behalf, when he is battling in the heavenlies, but we just cannot see those heavenly resources being deployed on our behalf. And those are the times when instead of acting out of frustration, we need to come before God on our knees and say, Lord, let frustration never be the springboard for my action. But instead, let me be one who sits at your feet and listens and asks you to share your plans with me about what you're doing right now so that I can align myself with what you're doing and act the way you want me to act in this moment. So the disciples had to face their fears, their flaws, their frustrations. It was a difficult time for them, wasn't it? And in some ways, I've been thinking that if Jesus hadn't been separated from them, if the shepherd had not gone on ahead of them, then they wouldn't have had to deal with those things. In some respects, it's Jesus's absence that allows those things to come to the fore in the disciples. And I believe that there is something here for us, a lesson for us in understanding how the shepherd leads the sheep. Jesus said at the beginning of all this that the the shepherd had been struck and the sheep would be scattered. But, you know, God's promise to us is that he will never leave nor forsake us. He said it to Moses in in Deuteronomy 31 and verse 8. He repeats it again to Joshua in his generation, Joshua 1 verse 9. And just so we don't think we're excluded from that, in Hebrews 13, 5, God reminds us again, never will I leave nor forsake you. So what was the shepherd doing here? Was he leaving and forsaking the sheep? No, I don't think so. I believe that the shepherd was going on ahead of the sheep to fight a battle on their behalf. And what he wanted them to do was to meet him at Galilee. He wanted them to hang on to the promise that they would be reunited and close again. And I believe this is part of the process that Jesus as our shepherd uses to lead us, that he goes on before us, he goes on ahead of us. And that can cause a gap to open up, a space to open up when he doesn't feel quite so present 
But in those moments, he's looking for us to face certain things. And I believe the Holy Spirit will lead us to deal with certain things in us. It may be the things that we fear. It may be the flesh, the flaws that we have. It may be the frustrations that we feel about our lives. I'd like to read to you uh, a little extract from a book by C.S. Lewis, which is called The Screwtape Letters. And this was written during the Second World War. And um, it was written, I guess, with the language of war in mind. It's a fictional book about a senior devil who writes to a junior devil, who's his nephew, um, Wormwood, about what um, Wormwood had been assigned as part of his training, which was to, um, to, to deal with a, a young Christian, to challenge him and to try and get him to turn away from his newfound faith. And letters go back and forth between the two. And the uncle, Uncle Screwtape, um, writes a letter back to Wormwood, his nephew, and he says the following. He says, my dear Wormwood, so you have great hopes that the patient's religious phase is dying away. Has no one ever told you about the law of undulation? Humans are amphibians, half spirit and half animal. The enemy's determination to produce such a revolting hybrid was one of the things that determined our father to withdraw his support from him. As spirits, they belong to the eternal world, but as animals, they inhabit time. This means that while their spirit can be directed to an eternal object, their bodies, passions and imaginations are in continual change. For to be in time means to change. Their nearest approach to constancy, therefore, is undulation. The repeated return to a level from which they repeatedly fall back. A series of troughs and peaks. And talking about those troughs and peaks and how God uses the troughs and peaks in our lives for his purpose. He says this. You must have often wondered why our enemy does not make more use of his power to be sensibly present to human souls in any degree he chooses and at any moment. He will set them off with communications of his presence, which, though faint, seem great to them with emotional sweetness and easy conquest over temptation. But he never allows this state of affairs to last long. Sooner or later, he withdraws if not in fact, or at least from their conscious experience, all those supports and incentives. He leaves the creature to stand up on its own legs, to carry out from the will alone duties which have lost all relish. It is during such trough periods, much more than during the peak periods, that it is growing into the sort of creature he wants it to be. Hence the prayers offered in the state of dryness are those which please him best. He wants them to learn to walk and must therefore take away his hand. And if only the will to walk is really there, he is even pleased with their stumbles. Do not be deceived, my dear Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks around upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks, why he has been forsaken and still obeys. I believe that um, C.S. Lewis was trying to teach us something about how the shepherd uh, leads the sheep. 
The psalmist David knew this when he said that he makes me lie down um, in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. He knew that the shepherd would go on ahead of us and lead us. And I guess it's in those times that sometimes he can feel not so close to us. And I believe the shepherd pulls away from us at different times. He's still with us, but sometimes we just can't see him quite so easily. And in those times, our faith is being tested and we are allowed an opportunity to face certain things that the shepherd wants to deal with us, which are all part of our process of maturing as believers in the body of Christ. During those times, God can do an awful lot within us. He goes on ahead of us, but he'll never leave nor forsake us. You know, in John's gospel, Jesus talks about himself as the great shepherd. And he says that the the sheep will know my voice. And I believe there's times when you may not see the shepherd, but you will always, always hear his voice. And his promise to us, which we read at the end of Matthew 28, is that behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I just want to encourage you today. Always be listening for the voice of your shepherd, even if he's gone on ahead of you, even if there are things that are crowding in on you. He's still with you. His purpose is working with you. And we need to cooperate with him in those times and trust him because there will always be a reunion and a restoration at the end of the process. Have a great day and be blessed. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.